You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Everything we uh, do here at Seabreeze really is centered around this one sentence. We're going to put on the screen behind you. You've probably seen this before if you've been around here for a while. Here it is, thoughtfully inviting broken people to experience transformation in Christ. Uh, We are all broken people. Our sin has broken us in many different ways, and because of that, our world is also broken. And that's affected us in many different ways. And we have come to the realization that only Jesus Christ has the ability to forgive us and the power to begin to put the pieces of our life back together to transform us. And so as a church, we're trying to extend, as God is piecing our lives together, we're trying to extend that invitation to the other people in our community. And so as we start this new year, we're focusing our attention on the transformation in Christ part, particularly how that occurs in in a practical way. Jesus changes us, but it's not like magic. We don't just passively stand there and he just kind of has magic Jesus dust that descends on us and we kind of become amazing people. That's not how it works. It takes time, and it requires our participation. And we're looking at our part in the participation, how this works. We've been using an illustration that captures the very practical ways that Jesus begins to change us. It's called the wheel illustration. And in this wheel, we first looked at the hub of the wheel, which is Jesus Christ. When we decide to ask him to forgive us for our sins and decide to follow him, make that commitment, the power of God is connected to our lives. It's kind of like the hub connects the power of the engine to the, the wheel itself. So that's kind of where the transformation begins. But then it continues on as we learn to obey what Jesus has told us to do. And the rim of this wheel then is obedience. This uh, past Christmas Eve, I was on my way to the first Christmas Eve service and I got a flat tire. I haven't had a flat tire in I mean, I, I almost forgot that there was stuff in the car to change a flat tire. It had been so long. But I had all kinds of power, nothing wrong with the engine. The powertrain was great, but I didn't have traction. So I had to get that tire fixed in order to, to make it here. And that's kind of like what obedience is in the Christian life. You can make a decision to follow Jesus, but if you don't begin to take the steps to learn how to obey him, you, you really don't have traction. You, you get stuck in life and You're a Christian, but you're really not making progress. And so we began by looking at the vertical dimension of our obedience. Uh, This involves our individual relationship with God. We first looked at the Bible, which is how we hear uh, God speaking to us. And then we looked at prayer, which is how we speak to God. So the two aspects of any relationship, any conversation, is listening and speaking. And so this is the individual part of our relationship with God. Now, today we're we're going to begin to look at the horizontal aspect, which is our collective relationship with God. We don't do this by ourselves. Uh, There is an individual aspect, but there's also a uh, community or corporate aspect. And so we begin today by looking at the spoke of the wheel that refers to the church, being a part of a church. Now, I didn't used to have a high view of the church, which is kind of funny given the fact that I'm a pastor now. I didn't think very much of the church. In my 20s, I really became a bit of a church critic. I would walk into any church and begin to form a list of things that were wrong with that church. I could tell you what was wrong with the music. I could tell you what was wrong with the message that had been given. I could tell you what was wrong with the person sitting next to me, the person across the way. I could tell you what was wrong with the way they had organized, you know, the greeting ministry in the church. I mean, I was just, you know, in my wisdom of my 20s, I was 
very critical of everything that was going on. And so my wheel kind of looked like this. It was kind of a vertical pancake. You know, I was praying and I was reading the Bible, but not really connected to a church. I would attend occasionally, but whenever I attended, I would always kind of go away just kind of shaking my head at the church. And thankfully, I was reading my Bible as a part of that vertical pancake. And one day, I read about how the church was called the Bride of Christ. And I wasn't married at the time, but I knew enough about marriage to know that if I walked up to a man and decided to criticize his wife, I'd probably get punched. At least I would get yelled at. And in that moment, when I realized that what I was doing every Sunday was criticizing the Bride of Christ, it was... It was almost as if a chill ran down my spine, and I, I actually had a moment where I could sense the anger of Christ in my criticalness of his bride. And that began a real change for me. I decided that I was going to try to help be a part of the church and not stand outside of it and criticize it. And I came to realize that we are the bride of Christ, not because of how amazing we are, not because of how attractive we are. I mean, my bride, my wife, I asked her out on the first date because she's so cute. That's not how we became the bride of Christ. Jesus didn't look at us and say, wow, you're amazing. That's not how it worked. It's described this way in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So Jesus just loved the church, us, and gave himself up for us, for her. And now he's in the business of cleaning us up. And he will eventually present us as radiant, which means heads will turn, without stain, without wrinkle, Without blemish. That is not how we look now. That's where we're headed. And Jesus will do this. But we are called to cooperate. This is not a Jesus spa where we just kind of sit and, you know, we're all cleaned up and wrinkles are removed. This is a participating kind of process. And the church in the New Testament of the Bible is, is not a side project, or as so many people now think of it, it's kind of a an optional add-on feature to the Christian life. If you'd like the premium package, add a little church to your Christian life. That is not the view of the, of the church in the New Testament. Here's what it says about the church in one place in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. His intent, speaking of God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an amazing statement. Let me, let me describe the piece. First of all, it describes these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. These are celestial beings that whenever they show up on earth, whoever sees them immediately falls down in worship. I mean, these are powerful, amazing beings that I doubt if any of us have seen these. And what they are focused on, the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, they are fixated 
on watching what's going on here on earth. But they're not watching what most people in the world are watching. In other words, they are not focused on how many classified documents has Biden failed to disclose. They're not fixated on who Kanye West married. They're not interested in that at all. What they are fascinated by, what they are ooing and awing over, is the multifaceted wisdom of God. The idea is that the wisdom of God, like light, is shining through a diamond, and it's like a diamond. It's just all the facets of that diamond is spreading that wisdom, that light, and it's just a splendor to behold. They're looking at the wisdom of God shining through something in this world that is displaying all the facets of God's manifold wisdom. What is that diamond? What is that thing that the wisdom of God is shining through in this world? It's the church. That's what they're fixated on. That's what they're ooing and awing over. That's what they're watching. Really? This? Does this seem that big? I mean, it really doesn't. But this and other gatherings like this around the world right now, this is it. This is as big as it gets in the scope of all of eternity. So I want to make a statement as we get underway this morning that's going to sound crazy. And I know it's going to sound crazy. So I'm going to put the statement up here, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time trying to explain why I think this is true. So here's the statement. What everyone in the world is really looking for is their place in the local church. Really? Why isn't everybody here then? Is that really true? I mean, I think we'd all agree everyone in this world is looking for something, right? Everyone's searching for something. Very few people have said, you know what, I've, I've found everything I want. And a few people that say that, I think they're lying. Everyone's looking. And what ultimately we were created to find is our place in the purpose of God, which occurs in the church. So that's why I say this. Everyone, whether they know it or not, is really looking for their place in a local church. Here's the statement in the New Testament that backs this up. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, spoken to Christians, followers of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the church is also called the body of Christ in the New Testament. Now, if you saw Christ this week in physical form, that would be a big deal. We'd first want to check to make sure you weren't hallucinating. But if that really happened, that'd be the biggest day of your life. You would see Jesus. But that's, Jesus isn't walking this earth right now. That's not going to happen. He shows up physically in settings like this. The body of Christ. And you are a part of that body if you're a follower of Christ. You are a part of the work of Christ in this world. Now, the thing about body parts is they're not like Legos. They don't just snap in and out of place easily. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, it refers to the relationships that are needed in a church are kind of like the ligaments that allow a church to connect and function as the body of Christ. 
You don't just pop ligaments in and out. They need to be maintained and cared for. And it takes time and trust to learn how to work together as the body of Christ in any local church. So don't let the brevity of this verse fool you. This is, this is a big deal. And it starts with the word now, which implies that history has been moving towards this point, and now, finally, all that God has been doing has come into focus. Since sin entered into the world and the promise was made of a way for forgiveness and the prophets told of the Messiah and then Jesus arrived and was born and did the miracles and taught and was crucified and was raised to life. All of that was so that now, now, we would get a chance to be a part of continuing what God has been doing in this world. And the amazing thing is, we don't just watch this like the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They're watching. They're not really able to participate. We get to be a part of it. In fact, the New Testament indicates they're a little jealous. They wish they could participate like we can. So I want to talk about two implications of this amazing fact that we are a part of the body of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ. Implication number one is this. If you are a Christian, you belong in a church. Not an idea of a church, but a church someplace. In the New Testament, you will not find an individual Christian who is unconnected to the church. In America, there's all kinds of those, but not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, every follower of Jesus Christ is in a church or starting a church or traveling to or from a church or in prison because of the church. The church is the centerpiece. And the reason is because God has created us from the beginning to be a part of something bigger than us. In a sense, we are like pieces of a puzzle created to be a part of a picture that is much bigger than us. God has created us to fit somewhere. Now, we know we, we're all unique. We look different. We have unique edges and shapes. We call these personalities, abilities, gifts, preferences. And the collection of uniqueness that makes us unique is not just for the sake of creativity, but it's because we are shaped as a piece to belong somewhere. Now, you can look at a puzzle piece. I don't know if you need any puzzles over Christmas, but you can look at a puzzle piece, and you can study that puzzle piece, and you can be amazed at the unique facets and edges and shapes of that puzzle piece. Or you can realize, where does this go? The puzzle piece was never meant to be on a display case with lights shining on it. It was meant to be a part of a bigger picture. We are individual beings created to be part of something much bigger. Now, family is often the first place where we are introduced to this truth. We are born into families. And it's the beginning of us finding our place on earth. The family is designed to show us that we are part of something bigger and then to launch us into something bigger than just family. 
Now, if we do not get a good start in family life, which not everybody does, then it becomes even more difficult for us to really find the place that we belong in this world. Family is where we're supposed to learn the lesson of our tremendous value and that although we are just a piece, we are an incredibly valuable and important piece. But even the best of families are not a big enough frame for us to fit in for our whole life. And so most people move out of their families and they go into the big wide world and they try to find their place in the world. And that usually means they find a workplace, a career place, something that they can do. Now the theme of family is that you are valuable, but you're not the center. You know, if you have siblings, they will teach you you're not the center. That's a valuable lesson. You don't want them to do it meanly, but it's a valuable lesson. The theme of work, on the other hand, is to tell us that our life is supposed to contribute to something bigger than just us. The problem is that even the most amazing jobs don't usually feel big enough for us. Recently, I was talking with someone that has a job that I think is amazing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's an important job. And they told me that they cannot wait for the day when they can retire and do what they really want to do. So I said, well, what is it you really want to do? And they said, yeah, I, I want to work with youth. I thought, well, that's, that's great. But here's the question that I would have. Is it really God's plan to have us work most of our lives doing relatively unimportant things so that we might amass enough money so that we might be, might be able to spend at least a few healthy years of our life doing something that we really want to do that is truly important? I don't think that's the way God's designed us. You see, the place that you and I were ultimately created to belong most deeply in is the church. Now, the church doesn't replace family. It doesn't replace work. What it does is it connects family and work to the larger purposes of God. So that while you are raising your families and while you are doing your work, you are also participating in what God is doing in this world. So don't wait until you're old enough or rich enough to find your true place in this world. This is the place. And now is the time. Most people spend their entire lives looking for what is missing from their life. They look for something that they can, they can add to their life to make them feel more alive. And the truth is, it's not that something is missing from our lives. It's that we are missing from God's great puzzle piece. We're the missing ones, not something. You see, we, we are not the frame in which we find enough pieces to make it all come together. We are the puzzle piece designed for a much bigger frame than just us. And until we decide to offer our life to be used in God's great plan, we are the missing piece. That's why we feel something is missing. We're right. It's not some piece to be added to us. It's us to be added to some, something bigger. Jesus is the one who set up the visible frame here on earth and called it the church. He said he was going to establish his church. Now, from time to time, over the years, I've been here about 32 and a half years, so over the years, people come and go. And that's just 
life. That's completely fine. From time to time, some people who are moving out of the area will, will tell me. They'll say, hey, we're, we're moving to so-and-so for this reason. And they're sad, and I'm sad, but there's nothing wrong with moving. And often I will ask them this question. So what about a church in the place that you're moving to? Have you, have you found a church where you're moving to? And I get several different answers, but the most common kind of answer I get is something like this. Oh, there are lots of churches there. And they're right. I'm sure I can find one, they'll usually say. And again, I think they're right. But I have a concern with this view of the church. I call this the grocery store view of church. Because if I were to ask them, oh no, you're moving to Texas? How are you going to get groceries in Texas? It's like, oh, there's lots of grocery stores in Texas. And they're right. So I'm sure I'll find a grocery store near where I live. And they're right. But the problem is churches are not like grocery stores for the spiritually hungry. God does feed us in the context of the church. But that's not the primary point. The church is primarily the place where you find your place in the great plan of God that has been stretching on for millennia and extends around the world. And that takes time to build those relationships and develop that trust in order for you to do all that God intended you to do when he made you and shaped you the way he did. Church is not just another grocery store where you get your loaf of spiritual bread as easy as you can one place is another. Now, don't get me wrong. God does move people, and that's fine. I mean, I moved here 32 years ago. But don't let a new workplace or retirement place be the very center of your decision-making process. That's what I'm saying. Let it be that God is giving you a new assignment in the church of Jesus Christ, the place where he has created you to belong at the deepest level. At least, I would say this, at least... Put in the kind of effort to find a church that you do to find a new home or find a new job. You know, if you're moving to another state, you've already got that on your mind, I'm just guessing you have put hours and hours and hours and hours of research into that place. You've, you've researched where you're going to live, maybe already bought the land. You've spent maybe hundreds of hours doing that. Or if you're changing jobs, you've researched what this job is and what's required and is this going to be good for me and my family. What I'm saying is put that kind of work into the church. Otherwise, what you're saying is where I live is number one, where I work is number two, church is three, four, five, somewhere down there. It is not. That is not how the New Testament, how God views the church. Now, I know that I've probably just put an end to anyone ever telling me that they're moving. You know, people are just going to start disappearing. They're not going to say anything to me. So let me say again, moving is fine. If God is moving you, that's fine. Just don't view the church as an afterthought like you do groceries. It's not that. Speaking of the church, we read this in Ephesians 2, 21 through 22. In him, the whole building is joined and held together. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, 
You too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is saying that, you know, Jesus laid the foundation of the church, but we are now the building blocks that have to fit together, to be joined together, and we rise to become a place where the Holy Spirit actually dwells and does the miracle that he does in our lives. So it's not enough just to set foundation or set foot on the foundation of the church, to arrive at a place. You have to go on to be a part of being built together on that foundation. And I say this because sometimes people who, you know, have the sense that they belong somewhere and they decide, you know what, maybe a church is where I belong, and so they visit a church. They visit one Sunday or maybe a month, maybe a few months, maybe even a few years, and they come away saying, you know what, they didn't do it for me. I I just, I don't feel that connected. I, I don't feel like I belong. And they decide, okay, so the church is not where I belong. It must be somewhere else because I didn't feel it there. Now, there may be several reasons for that. But one of the reasons, I would say, is because they haven't really made significant investments in relationships and in the ministry of that church. They haven't allowed themselves to be built together to experience what God intends in the church. They've just shown up. It's kind of like showing up at a bank walking up to the teller and saying, I'd like $300. And they say, all right, you know, show me your ATM card, give me your account number. Oh, I don't have an account here. <laughs> well, I can't give you through. I thought this was a bank. It is. But the money we have is for our account holders, <laughs> for people who have made investments in accounts here. And that's kind of like the church. You know, if you're standing in a bank, you're not... You don't have an account and don't have an investment, and you're not going to get any money any more than attending a church is going to get you belonging. You're in the right place for both. You're standing on the right foundation. Now you need to build on that foundation. So if you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus Christ, that's how you open an account in a church. You decide to follow Jesus Christ. You make that personal commitment. Then start investing your life. Make deposits by getting involved with your time with your gifts, with your resources. So the question, as I wrap up this implication, is are you, honestly, it's just for you, are you being built together somewhere to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, or are you going it alone or just attending? Implication number two, if you're a Christian, you are needed in a church. This Christmas, my wife and I built a thousand-piece puzzle. Uh, The truth is, she built it. I rode through and put in a few pieces here and there. She really did most of it. We got to the end of this puzzle, and there was one piece missing. Yeah, right? 999, it's one of the reasons I don't like puzzles. 999 pieces, and all we could fixate on was that one missing piece. And that's really what's true if you are a follower of Christ and you're not a part of a church. You are that missing piece. If you're on the floor, if you're not a part of the frame, the whole picture suffers. If you belong in a church and you're not there, what could be is less. It's diminished. So let's just say if Seabreeze is the church where you belong and you don't take that seriously, then what God wants to do here is diminished. What I'm saying is you're not just a part of the church. You are an important part 
of the church. Now, no one would view my role as unimportant. If I hadn't put in the time this week to think through what I'm going to say today, you would notice. You would be saying to yourself, I think he's just winging it right now. (laughs) You'd be able to tell. If the band hadn't rehearsed on Thursday night, hadn't rehearsed leading up to that, and hadn't warmed up this morning and gotten ready, you would notice. If the Sunday school teachers hadn't showed up and you have kids, they'd be sitting with you right now. You'd notice. (laughs) But what if you didn't have any particular responsibilities this morning here and you just decided, you know what? I'm going to sleep in. You didn't show up. We probably wouldn't notice. So you'd be led to think, it really doesn't matter if I'm there or not. But here's what is said about the church in that same chapter that we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 22, says, The eye, speaking of the body of Christ, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, in fact, indispensable. Now, what part of your body are you okay just lopping off? None. No part is dispensable. So what if God intended you to talk to someone this morning out there on the patio? Someone that just needed to talk to someone. Maybe they needed some encouragement. What if you were supposed to be that person and you weren't here? Or you showed up and your mind was just on yourself or just on autopilot and you didn't give them any encouragement. Then that person went off into the week with less help than they could have. If you're supposed to be here, there's a reason for you to be here, even if you don't have a particular job this morning. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to be here on any given Sunday. I'm not saying don't ever miss a Sunday. I'm going to miss a few Sundays this summer to visit my family in Canada. And I know on those Sundays I'm not supposed to be here. It's between you and God whether you're supposed to be here on any given Sunday. What I am saying is if you're supposed to be here, then we need you. And even if you don't have a specific role to play, you're needed. Now, COVID obviously has really tested our resolve on this matter. I mean, gathering was always inconvenient, right? Showing up on Sunday morning, that's always inconvenient. You always have to make it a priority. You always have to, you know, not do something else to do this. So this is a matter of convenience. And it's always been inconvenient. But now, it's also a little risky. Now, not early church risky. I mean, we're not risking being burned at the stake. But we are risking disease. And for some, it's, it's a significant risk. So let me say this. If you're sick, please do us all a favor and stay home. <laughs> you know, it's one of the reasons we have the online service, the live stream. And we've gotten the cameras during COVID to, to really make that good. We really have that for two reasons, and we still do that for two reasons. One is if you're sick, you can be a part online. The second reason is if you're just new to church or you're just kind of checking out whether you might want to come to church, viewing it online is is a non-threatening way to check it out. I mean, once you take the risk of coming in here, we might be weird, and we may lock the doors, and you don't know. But if you see it online, it's like, (laughs) okay, they look normal doesn't look like anyone's there against their will, I might check it out. So it's an opportunity 
kind of a low-threat opportunity for people who are just looking into it to check it out. Those are the only two reasons we continue to do the online service. We do not do the online service, and I'll look into the, for your convenience. <laughs> That's not why we're doing it. If you prefer to do church in your PJs, come here. I mean, dress up well, but, you know, come here. <laughs> because without you here, we are less than what we could be, than what God wants us to be. Again, I'm not saying you better never miss a Sunday or move away. I have to repeat that because that may be all you hear. That's not what I'm saying. I am addressing a, a common low view of the church that exists in our culture right now. The thought that the church is a place to get fed rather than a place you belong. The thought that the church doesn't really need you today because you don't have a job. That is just not the case. Now, I don't know if Seabreeze is the place for you. If it is, we're glad because we really need you. There's a city full of people trying to piece life together without the frame or the big picture. They don't have the picture on the front of the box to know where their piece fits in. We need your help in thoughtfully inviting the broken people of our community to experience transformation in Christ. It's not enough for us to find our place and ignore all the people who are still searching. Now, if this isn't the place for you, then that's fine. Find that place and make that your top priority. Now, as we wrap up today, we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ that he gave for the sake of the church. We're going to take uh, communion together. So ushers, once you begin to come forward, and they're going to be to pass out the communion cups. If you have yet to decide to follow Jesus Christ, you're just checking this out, then just let these cups pass. Don't, don't take one. We're not going to um, point you out in any way. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here as you look into what it means to follow Jesus. But the New Testament is very clear that what we're doing right now is for those and only those who have already decided to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and to be a part of the church. So the bread and the juice are all in, in one package. You can see it by now. It looks like this. The bread is on the top and the juice is on the bottom. So just hold on to this. I'm going to instruct us. Uh, we're going to do one of these at a time. Uh, where this practice comes from was what Jesus did on the eve of his sacrifice as he was having supper with his disciples. At the beginning of the meal, he broke bread and said that broken bread was a picture, an image of what his body was going to look like in a matter of hours after he was beaten and after he was whipped. And then at the end of the meal, he poured some wine into a cup and said that this was a visual picture of his own blood that was being going to be about to be poured out on that cross in sacrifice for us to offer us forgiveness. Now, he told us, his disciples and all who would follow him, that we were to do this in remembrance of him. He didn't say how often, he just said do this. So we do this from time to time as a church in remembrance of that moment in history when everything changed and the fact that we get to be a part of that. Now, what Jesus suffered on that cross 2,000 years ago wasn't just for us as individuals. It was that, but it was also to establish his church. So as we do this this morning, I want to invite you to join me in deciding maybe for the first time or maybe for the 500th time 
to give your life, your time, your resources, and your abilities to the church of Jesus Christ. I know that when we stand and we get to see with our own eyes the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms, we will not regret a single minute or a single dollar or a single gift that we offered to the church of Jesus Christ. This is the big thing that is going on in all of eternity. So first, peel back that first layer to get at that little wafer of bread. We're going to eat this together. And, and what Jesus said that night was this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do this together and eat this. Now go ahead and peel back the, the next layer to get at the juice. Be careful, don't spill. At the end of that meal, Jesus um, stood up, lifted the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant, which means the new agreement written in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, have a hard time wrapping our minds around the humility that it took on your part to descend from the glory of heaven. You being God, you, you took on a body and you humbled yourself. And beyond that, you humbled yourself and allowed your body to be beaten, nailed to a cross, and your blood was shed in our place. You experienced the rejection of our sin so that we can spend eternity in your presence and not in, in absence from you. So we thank you and we have eaten these pieces of bread and drunk this juice in remembrance of your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. And you sacrificed for the sake of your church. And now we get a chance to be your body here on earth. We know that we are not without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but we will be one day. And we lean and strive towards that as you work through us. We pray for this particular church that you would help us extend your love and your mercy into this community. I pray for everyone in this room that they would find their place in a local church, even if it isn't this one. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast. <laughs>